I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Our show is sponsored by Invest Engine. According to Warren Buffett, 99% of people shouldn't bother trying to pick stocks. Instead, they should just buy an index and forget about it. Buffett also says that the people who do this ought to be wary of the fees they're paying, though. So if you're in the 99% and you're looking for a low-cost way to buy ETFs, Invest Engine might be what you've been looking for. Invest Engine lets people like me and Paul and Steve buy ETFs with no platform fees and no ISA fees. So if you'd like to own a Vanguard S&P 500 ETF, Buffett's preferred security, then head on over there and take a look. If you're one of the 99%, then there's a link downstairs for you to go sign up. You can get started today with 100 quid, and if you leave it there for a year, there's a £25 bonus in it for you. Here's another thing about the 99%, though. They don't watch this show. But if you're one of the 1%, then Invest Engine has something for you as well. If your straightforward index isn't your kind of thing, and you'd like something a bit more bespoke, then Invest Engine have some managed portfolios. There's always capital at risk with investing, but they'll match you to a portfolio that they've designed based on your personal risk profile. So whether you're in the 99% or the 1%, go check out Invest Engine. Link in description. The sucker's going up. It's earnings season, everyone. We've got Tesla, we've got Netflix, we've got the banks, and we've got ASML coming to you here on the Playing Footsie Show, which has 920-something uh, YouTube subscribers right now. We're only 70 from the wonderful 1,000, where we can get this thing monetized. Steve D is happy. Steve W is happy. We want to get there. So we've got a new prime minister this week. Uh, as of today, Jesus, how's your week been? Uh, that's exciting. Um, I didn't realize we had a new prime minister today. I knew we were getting one soon, but, uh, yeah, we're recording this. Oh I've got God. myself confused. It's Thursday. We've just got rid of one, uh, over here. So yeah, okay. my week's been all right. It's been an interesting time watching, especially UK markets, actually, with that, um, uh, all the kind of political uncertainty, uh, going around. They usually say that what markets don't like is uncertainty, to be honest. They like kind of clarity one way or another, and then they can make their minds up on, uh, various things. But it felt like, I think, directly uh, the Prime Minister announced that she was stepping down. Oh, sorry, I guess the ex-Prime Minister now uh, announced that she was stepping down. Um, I think the FTSE immediately kind of rallied after that, uh, which I suppose presented some maybe certainty, I guess. But uh, I but, guess well, they yeah, prefer it's... having no plan to the wrong plan or something like that. Well, the no, ultimate it's certainty. It's certainty because there's only probably one person left. So they never who the next Prime Minister is going to be thing is mm. you've got to be crap haven't you if that resigning makes the footsie 100 move <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's shot like... up by 0.25 percent i think it's, it's like the biggest the movement C in decades yeah it's like when the ceos of companies step down and all of a sudden boom uh when was the last one that did that intel uh when pat started uh the <laughs> it's absolutely incredible but i must admit since then intel hasn't done so well uh but uh, who do you reckon awesome. go on very quickly who you ne who do you reckon the next prime minister is i'll give you a betting right now uh is on rishi apparently uh but yep. i've also heard that boris is back would you welcome boris back with open arms no um i ought to i suppose <laughs> back 
back. Uh, I put my money behind, I guess, uh, Rishi since he was educated at the institution that I teach at, by which I mean the, the specific college, not just the university. Um, I suppose if I were looking for an outside bet, I would look towards Penny Mordaunt uh, as someone who might do it. She did well in the previous kind of election race, but uh, I think finished about third or so. And it was her kind of vote shoved into uh, the Liz Truss campaign that I think got her over the line past Rishi Sunak. But um, I see it's between those two. I don't see a return for, for Boris yeah, particularly. Not sure he'd want I it. I don't know too much about it. Obviously, I've only been listening today, but apparently they've got to get 100 signatures from people in mm -hmm. the Tory party. And there's only 300, 300 of them to actually get it done. So... Yep, these like Rishi Sunak and stuff is, is going to go for the 150 and try and wipe everybody else out before they get a chance. Remember, they've got to do this by Monday, so they reckon they will possibly have a new leader by Monday. But it's all a mess. Um, it's all over the place. Nice and stable, nice and certain. That's what we like to see. Uh, that's where we can make some money in the markets. But have you guys been getting on this week? I've been doing okay. Um, I've had four straight green days. Uh, I think yesterday was a red day for most, but I was carried by uh, ASML's results and by Netflix results. They were up, I think, about 9% at the end of the day, and Netflix was probably in the high sort of 13%, 14%. So they're big positions in my portfolio. Netflix has become my biggest. ASML is my uh, third biggest now. So um, obviously when the two top positions in your portfolio are having a pretty good day, it doesn't really matter what the rest do. Um so they've kept me green all week. I've had a nice uh, uptick in in numbers, actually across the board. Um, pretty pretty positive. Uh, two of my uh, sorry, one of my stocks is uh, causing a bit of trouble for the other one today. Uh, Chewy uh, has announced an insurance deal uh, and not gone with the pet insurer in my um, in my bark ETF. Uh, it's gone with um, it's gone with lemonade of all people, and that has caused a ten no percent drop in two pounds price. So that's actually the worst performer, but it's a tiny position in my in my uh, other portfolio. So, uh, but yeah, looking pretty good for me. I'm. Uh, I mean, I always say I'm cheery, and then proceed to the market proceeds to drop about ten percent. But yeah, I'm feeling cheery. How about you, Steve? I'm also feeling kind of cheery at the moment. I've been enjoying the sort of moving prices in the the FTSE at the moment. Chance to get some money into some companies that I quite like there that if you think they're expensive and the market never seems to move very much they kind of stay expensive uh, mainly and it's difficult to get things going in one direction or another um, it's been a busy few days here uh, my Litland's managed to get his first cold which means he's not really sleeping at night he's barely sleeping at night anyway but he's definitely not now so I've got plenty of time to think about stocks but not much money to do anything with I am just digesting it. Sorry, I'm looking on my phone right now because um, AT&T is up 7.5% today. Um, I know I haven't had a chance to look at any earnings yet whatsoever, but that sounds like it's pretty good. Let's uh, Otherwise, my portfolio, I haven't really been looking. It, it's kind of dead to me at the minute until I can sort this money issue out. Uh, everything in, in there is kind of dead to me, but I did just look. It was... 10 ish percent down when i sold everything off it's now six percent down so i've gained four percent there somewhere asml probably doing a lot of lift in there and apparently at&t up seven percent today which means that's um moved quite a bit of money that's in my portfolio but we're gonna have to rush off because we've got a lot to talk about as far as earnings go and to kick it off last week uh, we had the banks get moving in the earnings. 
it might have been this week i have no idea what week we're on at the moment uh but steve w is here to talk about the banks and how important they are for the rest of earnings season Yes, I've been looking at the banks from last week, mostly their earnings. So I looked at the kind of four banks that I usually have a look at here. JP Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells, Fargo, the kind of big uh, money center banks, I guess, as they're known, rather than the sort of investment banks of Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Though I've got a little bit on those two as well. I'll save you a kind of boring run through the numbers. But the kind of take home point is that basically everyone beat on everything. Uh, revenues and earnings per share were higher than expected from pretty much everywhere in general uh, revenues were up across the board ranging between sort of 10 percent up and six percent up um, and earnings per share were basically down more or less across the board ranging between sort of 17 percent to 25 or so um, a few little bits of kind of differentiation between them i guess but here's some general themes that are kind of going on that won't surprise sort of anybody i was mostly unsurprised by all this stuff that i saw not the precise numbers but the kind of general themes coming out so investment banking themes uh, fees sorry are down more or less everywhere uh, wells fargo doesn't really have an investment banking arm but we'll come back to those in a sec and net interest income goes up by quite significant amounts double digits in all of these cases so in other words the money that they make by doing stuff like underwriting ipos or uh sorting out SPACs and that kind of thing especially citigroup which is quite big on SPACs, most of that has disappeared that you could probably have told just by by keeping a vague eye on the market it's a lot quieter now for ipos and SPACs than it was before um, and the kind of money they make by taking in deposits, paying interest on them and lending it out in the form of uh, loans and mortgages and credit cards and what have you at a higher rate. Most of that is higher than it was before. And pretty much across the board, what you also saw, the reason that revenues go up and earnings go down in these cases, so margins shrink quite a bit, is big increases in reserve losses. Uh, so things for covering bad debt, basically. Uh, this time last year, they were pretty much all releasing stuff they'd had built up to get through sort of the COVID-ish kind of uh, spell. Now they're all busy building reserves back up again in order to comply with uh, Federal Reserve stress test stuff. So earnings were lower, but not as much as expected. Revenues were higher uh, and higher than expected. And, and one interesting thing that I saw here is that headcounts were higher than expected. Uh, it's only Wells Fargo that shrunk its headcount. If you like following the banks, as I kind of do, you might have seen that this is where a lot of my students go, actually, for what it's worth. A lot of them go off to be kind of uh, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, bankers and so on. There's been a lot of, um, I guess I want to say complaining or discussion, perhaps, about the conditions of junior bankers and the number of hours they have to work and so on and so forth. That kind of got circulated around on Goldman a bit. And Goldman responded by saying they were basically going to right-size their numbers and get rid of most of them. They don't appear to have done that. Headcounts are up pretty much everywhere apart from Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, they perhaps unsurprisingly have lower mortgage demand uh, with higher interest rates. That's basically what's been going on. What catches your attention there? You guys own some banks, right? Yes, the thing that sort of jumped out most for me was um, just a comparison, really, between the, the quarters. I noticed a lot of um, news outlets were reporting that, you know, year on year, JP Morgan's uh, interest um, income was, sorry, their income was down about 14% or something along those lines. But uh, you've got you've got to think about the sort of quarters we're, we're comparing, really, in that the reserve loan losses were being released, now they're being built up. So realistically, you know, when you sub all that back out, it's nowhere near as dramatic as 
you know, 12, 13, 14%. It's just, you know, it's just, a, it's just a difference in the way they're reporting income. One is, you know, it's almost like reserved income that you can release at a, 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 a later date. And now they're going back to reserving income. So, um, but I was interested in JP Diamond's uh, CEO, as JP Diamond, JP Morgan, uh, Jamie Diamond's comments. He was, he was cheerleading the Fed to a certain degree. And I think, I guess he kind of has to, he, he's not in control of any of their policies. He can't do anything that affects that kind of policy. So all he can do is wish them well and i kind of guess that's what he was that's what he was um he, he was doing uh i've noticed that they booked about a billion dollar loss on treasuries um treasuries have not been in a great spot uh, they wanted to reposition that they had mortgage bonds as well which always fills you full of uh, fills you full of fear doesn't it after the uh, after the big shot uh, and the other thing i noticed that really caught my eye was um goldman sachs were talking uh, one of the things that they've done recently is build up a retail banking arm they've got mm. the marcus brand uh it's over here in the uk it's quite uh competitive really in in the in the savings accounts but from what I understand, they're looking to sort of scale the expansion of that back. They're not going to spend too much time focusing on uh, on that anymore. Um, outside of that, um, Citibank was probably the weakest of the of the three, I would say. And we would expect that because, as we've said a few times before, Citibank has a lot more consumer debt than uh, than the others, or, or at least in terms of concentration, uh, it's a lot more concentrated on on that kind of debt, and that kind of debt is. It's just, it's not struggling at the moment, but it is on the more struggling side, I guess is how I would describe it. Did anything jump out of you, Paul? Have you even seen them? It's the, um, you, you've covered a lot there, uh, particularly Jamie Dimon. I didn't see it as he was wishing well on the Fed. Uh, I saw it as uh, very slightly different, uh, as in he's he. it's very beneficial for jp morgan to have interest rates go up so i can see why he would follow that one uh as much as he could but also i think he is very fearful of inflation and inflation in the economy and i think he's a bit traditional in that sense of the word uh and sees that interest rates are pretty important as well so rather than sort of cheerleading because he can't do nothing about it i think he seemed to genuinely think that uh the fed is doing the right thing and that obviously makes jp morgan very uh rich in the same bet um investment banking or investment um returns from retail was quite telling i think that's very important to see that investing still isn't particularly popular yet or it's not as popular as it was in 2020 so uh Companies like uh, Goldman are, are not seeing as much money from from there, and uh, finally mortgages. Mortgages, I think, is uh, the big tell there. I think we are not seeing as many house buy as much house buying going on as we should, particularly in the second hand market. New build market though is doing very well, and rental seems to be doing very very well as well. If you look at some of the renters, you know, one, one of my favourites, Avalon Bay. And uh, one of my other renters, well, I say it's a renter, Lennar Corp is a new build house builder primarily, but it is actually branching out into the rental market. And that says it has seen very, very strong um, uptake in its, uh, I think they call it single family homes that they are renting out at the moment. So that's very interesting to see. Uh, how that dynamic in the US is going. And I think that's going to be exactly the same thing that's happening in the UK. And I actually see some of the big house builders here in the UK 
doing us or running a similar model i don't think they're going to go into mortgages like places like lennar and dr horton do but i do think maybe setting up houses the you know the um affordable housing that they have to put in each new build plot i can see them rather than handing them off to a housing association i can see them maybe benefiting more from renting out now so I, there's no plans that have actually been announced for that just yet but i can see that that model works here over in america and maybe it might be something for the uk house builders to pick up however banks going forward looked very very strong uh it sucks for me that i'm not 100% in the market right now uh, because it means earnings season is going to be very, very positive and uh, there's going to be a bit of a jink. Michael Burry said there was going to be an earnings collapse. That so far is not happening, right? So far, no. I mean, earnings are you know, quite significantly down at the banks and all of these things. If you kind of compare them year over year, what they're not is as far down as people were perhaps expecting. Um, in the case of Citigroup that Steve mentioned, uh, another reason it didn't do quite so well, uh, and this is a kind of deep structural issue for Citigroup, is that the thing that's really been pushing earnings along for the banks is rising rates in the US, and Citi has more of its business exposed outside of the US, basically, uh, in emerging markets and so on. So somewhere like Bank of America, which has a fairly heavy concentration, gets a big push off those kind of rising US interest rates, that's going to have a disproportionate effect on that on Bank of America compared to Citi, which is one of the reasons for Citi underperforming. It's a reason a lot of people don't like Citi very much, to be honest. It's kind of exposed elsewhere. I agree with that objection to it for what it's worth. I own this stock. Um, I just think it's far too underpriced compared to, uh, to offset that thought. But all three of us have been thinking about housing, I guess, a little bit in recently in our own sort of different ways. Um, Paul, in terms of thinking about his help to buy mortgage, me in terms of looking for somewhere to buy, and Steve with a fascination of basically conducting armchair surveys on the things I'm trying to buy based on his right move stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I kind of think these rising interest rates, I know in my head rising interest rates are good for banks because margins expand, basically. The amount you loan out at expands faster than the amount that you take in deposits at. So it's good. Your margins get bigger feels to me like that's the case until it isn't, though, as in until interest rates get so high that your mortgages all start going bad. And you don't have to think people wrote mortgages terribly to think that they wrote them at a rate where if the interest rate quadrupled or something, so it went from 2% to 8% or something like that, which doesn't strike me as beyond the realms of possible at the moment. It wouldn't be such a good thing for banks. Eventually, they would have to start dealing with the thought that their mortgage debts aren't good anymore, uh, no matter how carefully they kind of wrote them. It's unlikely to be a problem for the US banks, isn't it? Because mortgages in the US tend to run a lot longer than they do over here. So they tend mm. to have a mortgage for the life of the time it would take to pay off. And it tends to be fixed for that period as well. So yeah, why is We're only talking about... Why do we really have talking to run about... off like five, five years? But the US, the US do 30-year terms. We Obviously, we have a mortgage. Sorry, just need to explain this to people because I think this is common knowledge that here in the UK, we will have a 25-year mortgage that you, when you buy your house, but you fix your terms, or you can, you have the choice to fix your terms, usually over a two- or a five-year time, and very recently, 10-year has been coming in. But over in America, you can fix your term for the full 30 years. I 
don't know what rates they are. I think I last I remember they were something like four percent. So they weren't stupidly low, but they that's a good old price to pay for the entirety of your mortgage. And it gives you a bit of uh, security that something's going to happen. And that's why uh, we think that the US housing market might not collapse in the same way that the British one will. Apologies. I just wanted to interject there and just mm -hmm. explain that out. Well, the reason why they're so long is probably because of 2008. So in 2008, um, a lot of things, uh, a lot, well, a lot of the mortgages went bad, and that was part of the reason people couldn't pay them back and everything went bust. But um, the reason they're so long this time is probably because two reasons that the rates have been very, very low. When you have a 30 year mortgage, you can charge quite a higher rate because you can speculate that. You know, the mortgage rates might go to 3 or 4%. So if you can charge out a 30-year mortgage at 4%, that's still going to be quite appealing to people. Uh, the banks still get a decent rate back out of it. The consumer gets a fair deal. And also the consumer gets the security of knowing that their payments are going to be the same from now until they pay it off, which, you know, when you think about it, we'd probably take that, wouldn't we? Especially yeah, knowing what 100%. we know today. Um, 100%. So, but the reason it's, it, it's shorter in Britain is just simply because it's not offered as a product. And we do get up to 10-year fixes now. I have seen a few of mm. them knocking about, uh, but they the, the rates, you know, tend to look unattractive until mm -hmm. you get to 6% uh, mortgages that we have today and all of a sudden they look a hell of a lot better than they did. Um, yeah. But that's the general. The other thing I was just going to flash back to was... Um, Lennar, one of the problems with the Lennar renting out is that they essentially they take the uh, the cost of building that um, uh, house onto their balance sheet, and mm -hmm. uh, which is fine for a company like Lennar and, and for companies like the Ahorn, which have tons and tons and tons of cash. But that's not necessarily what um, what companies in the UK tend to have. Very good point. Divvy out so much of the cash that they generate, they tend yeah. to. I mean, Persimmon divvied out like twenty percent dividend yield last year. Um, which was pretty much all of its cash and the special divvy it's as well. A, it's um, a 97 so hold as much cash payout on ratio on persimmon. Sorry. Exactly. So what yeah. what happens at that point is, is that they when when they're planning on divvying out all their cash at such a, a record rate like that, that doesn't leave an awful lot for you to be able to absorb some costs of building a house and shipping it on your balance sheet and uh, and and renting it. So I don't think we'll see that over here, and I don't think we'll see too much of it over in America. The way I see it is a bit like when Upstart started taking uh, loans on their balance sheet, and it's simply because they couldn't sell the loans on. And I think that's kind of what they're now doing. They're thinking, hey, look, if this is a short-term thing, we can keep building, because there's nothing worse than sending all your joiners and all your brickies home and then go and get them getting jobs everywhere else and then all of a sudden the, the building trade picks up again and you've got to try and rehire a whole you know a whole squad of builders and joiners mm. to well there's no such thing as a builder in america they're all joiners um <laughs> and they don't do anything with bricks but um <laughs> yeah so <laughs> but it's nothing there would be nothing worse than having to reassemble a team so i guess what lanara are thinking is look if this is a short-term thing a year or whatever we can start yeah. banging houses onto our balance sheet we can keep the team in place we can keep building we can keep going through the materials that we already have uh, and that makes a lot of sense to me but it won't make a lot of sense if this thing lasts three four five years uh, all of a sudden you might see lanar uh, ground to a halt and start to run out of cash very very good point actually the return on a on a home that you build to rent uh, comes over the lifetime of the ho home rather mm -hmm. than traditionally when you buy when you build a home you sell it off and you get the money back straight away so yeah you're right this is if you're going to look at it in that way you're going to have to look at it as a long long-term prospect or at least hold hold all that on your balance sheet and eventually i don't know you could get a greater return on investment but it just take a long time right you you know you get that cash flow coming in from the rentals and then eventually you sell it on to 
uh, whoever wants to buy it or maybe even the tenant themselves. But yeah, very, very interesting. And like you say, I think you need a good, strong balance sheet on that one. And uh, yeah, some of the bigger companies in America have that. Moving on, though, because we're going to be here forever sitting. Uh, by the way, that was banks. We ended up talking about different companies at the end. Um, moving on. What are we going to talk about? Should we just slide Tesla in really, really quickly? Because you guys don't really want to talk about it, but we have to talk about it. And then we can get on to waxing Steve D's poll afterwards with ASML and Netflix. Um, but Tesla came in uh, with certain earnings. Um, I think it was about billion in uh i did have them up here there we go uh aps of one um expected and they surprised with 5.23 percent uh but revenue came in lower uh 21.8 billion expected 21.45 billion came in at the end this is on top of the news that deliveries didn't come in as well as they should have this uh, deliveries being tesla's closest reporting of sales that they actually give us uh, on cars uh it possibly signif sig uh, signaling that demand for tesla's cars is not as strong as we first thought your thoughts firstly on uh, demand for Teslas, China, if you've got anything, and uh, just your opinion on Elon at the moment. Okay, so I'll start us off quickly then. I didn't, um, I, I don't follow Tesla as closely as I kind of once felt I had to. So I started looking into this kind of over the last couple of days, knowing these kind of earnings were coming. As I understand it, the thing about deliveries, this explains their kind of slight miss on revenue. Deliveries came in light, so revenues were slightly under. Um, and as I understand it, that was kind of known about or mentioned ahead, so it wasn't a huge surprise to the market. Uh, the real question becomes kind of why. Uh, and there's sort of two lines of thought, I guess. One is the official party line, if we call it that, the kind of reason Elon Musk gave, which was concerns about trying to ship the damn things uh, and problems with transport, effectively. Okay, that's one reason you might have uh, not logged deliveries in the way you were hoping to. The other is maybe people just don't want them uh, as much as they used to, or demand isn't quite where they thought it was. Uh, Musk was keen to talk that idea down on the earnings call, from what I understand. I haven't actually listened to it, I'll be honest. Um, but that would be a bigger kind of uh, concern. China's zero COVID thing, I understand, has not been helpful, but they did, I think, still manage kind of record deliveries this quarter, as they seem to kind of nearly every quarter with increasing factories coming online and production and so on and so forth. They're still confident they can sell everything they can produce and plenty more. Um, I wonder in this case, this feels a little bit like another stock we're going to talk about where perhaps people are suddenly expecting the worst um, and they might get pleasantly surprised uh, if they're shareholders in a couple of quarters time. That would be my general take. There was nothing wrong with these figures. They just went as high as they, they sort of projected they were going to be originally. That was the that was my sort of net takeaway from Tesla. And when you are a stock that is as uh, overvalued and priced to perfection, like we've mentioned on a number of occasions, when you don't achieve perfection, then your share price comes down. Uh, and I think that's kind of what's what's happened here. Um, uh, they look still profitable. They're the, the gross margins look very strong for a car company. Well, all car companies are improving their gross margins at the moment. In fact, car companies are mm. getting very comfortable with not making very as many cars as normal. But that. Tesla are the opposite. They're making a lot of cars with a good gross margin. They're making as many as they can sell. Um, uh, it looks 
okay to me as far as as far as i could see um the only thing that really caught my eye of the whole thing well apart from musk's take on economics uh which uh, was <laughs> quite interesting he said china is in a property recession europe is in an energy recession but north america is okay although the fed is raising interest rates more than they should and they will realize that shortly he says um the other thing caught my eye was Tesla's going to do a buyback, he reckons, mm. next year. Yeah. Uh, between 5 and $10 billion. Now, I think that's a very poor move. Uh, if, you're uh, making, if you're making as many cars mm. as you can sell, you need to be making more cars. Uh, and that's where I think that 5 and $10 billion would be. Go ahead and see what do you think. I think it's a really good idea. I think if I were in charge of Tesla and I potentially had to sell some of my shares to go and buy another like social media platform or something like that, I would want the company to buy them back a bit quickly so the price might go up a bit. Like Bieber. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. Um, I I actually want to look at the business here and I agree with Steve D. I think the share buyback is a really bad uh, thing. But on the, other, on the other hand, Tesla is so driven by sentiment still that a share buyback should really have put a little bit of... Um, put a bit of steam back into this the stock but it hasn't and i think i can tell you why on that one as well but it's because the tesla i all the fans believe 100 percent that you should not be giving back to the shareholder they believe that you should be plowing and plowing into the business uh, and if a if a business is not plowing all its money back into it it's not growing and it's not going to continue growing and unfortunately that is the fin twit line on this one um it doesn't matter one I mean, of those yucky dividend stocks. <laughs> no, it's more that it's... I think you're right. I think it's... Everything that Elon Musk seems to do is to cover up something else. That's what I see. If there's some bad news coming out with the with the companies, lower deli deliveries, China upset with them, he brings out a robot that's half finished or he tells everyone that the semi-truck is coming out in December, which it possibly might not as well, which is another <laughs> thing. You know, we have been delaying these things for a long time. Um, uh, I don't know. It's driven by sentiment. We always... I've, I've said it for a good couple of years now. This price will meme revert it will come back into reasonable alignment and um i think it's starting to do that yeah i mean the other thing he does by the way is split the stock uh, occasionally to try and distract people from what's going on is a kind of another favorite tesla move but i take your point i mean it's not we are talking a lot about cars for a company that you know a year and a half ago was only sort of partly a car company and was mostly an energy company and is now a humanoid robot company and it strikes me as kind of surprising that they're generating so much cash that um even elon musk can't think of a kind of meaningful use for it because if anyone has the kind of vision to see growth opportunities in stuff that might be kind of orthogonally connected to um green energy generally or something like that i would have thought it was him so i guess i find it surprising uh, or maybe less surprising if you consider the reason i gave before Absolutely brilliant earnings report, though. Uh, this company is growing so rapidly. Mm -hmm. I do wonder where the ceiling is. Um, you still need to think like that. And every time that something happens with these deliveries, you have to ask yourself, as as a valuer, as somebody who has valued Tesla at three trillion, something like that, maybe it's now only two and a half trillion because it hasn't quite fit the the narrative as well as you expected. Um, maybe it's going to be two trillion next next year and uh things start to come together a little bit um tesla 
is it anywhere near close to you guys buying yet? No, um, no, but not because of valuation <laughs> reasons. I mean, if you think you understand this area better than I think I do, and that's not very hard for what it's worth, um, I think it's now slid below what Morningstar considers to be their kind of fair value estimate for it because they basically held fixed on these numbers, which is I think we all think is not crazy, to be honest, that yeah. the numbers by themselves shouldn't really change your view of the thing. Okay, there were slightly fewer cars delivered, but broadly speaking, the thing appears to be on track. So they're saying no change to their fair value estimate. It was trading around there before as a result of the general market coming down and it coming down faster than the general market. Lost another, I think, around 7% today from where I looked, which does mean that, according to them, it's underpriced. Uh, not as underpriced as other things, admittedly, like, say, ASML. Uh, but they, put this way, they're a kind of professionals, and professionals I consider to be fairly sensible here who think this is an unjustified move downwards in this stock. Lovely stuff. Right, let's get to the Steve D waxing time. Where do you want to start with, Steve? Do you want to start Front with the S-Melt? <laughs> or do you well, want to start I'm with I'm not Netflix? going to do Netflix because I'm sick of hearing my own voice on Netflix, so I'm going to let it to Steve on that. So shall I do ASML quickly, Steve, and then we'll, we'll flash over to Netflix? Quickly. Sure. Okay, just as a show of hands for brutal honesty, who, who owns Netflix here? Oh, Netflix, no. Oh, Netflix or ASML, sorry? Uh, sorry, ASML, sorry. Oh, ASML, yeah. Okay, well, just just, just me and Paul, uh, Steve, uh, was threatening to buy it, but doesn't appear to. Nope. So, okay, I'll just give you the quick metrics then. So, uh, net sales were up um, 10% uh, year on year to 5.8 billion. They guided for 5.3 billion. Net bookings were at 8.9 billion for the quarter, which is about 44% uh, year on year. Uh, gross margin Ooh. was fifty-two percent. They were guiding for fifty. Operating margin was thirty-four <laughs> percent. Operating cash flow one point two billion. They shipped twelve units. Would you believe um, <laughs> twelve new quarter. units? They have a big yeah. second-hand market. Yeah, twelve. It's twelve yeah. of the UVs. I am taking them excitedly. Twelve yeah. of the yeah. uh, guidance was quite strong as well. So they said net sales six point four billion. Gross margin said forty-nine percent. Yeah, they've said that before. Um, the full-year guidance they reckoned was going to be about twenty-one point one billion, which is about thirteen percent growth versus ten percent. It was the prior guidance. Uh, about 38 billion in order backlog. Uh, that's from the EUV and the immersion. That's about 85% of that. Uh, it was 33 billion last quarter, so they've added. Uh, added to that. Uh, they don't think 2023 is going to be a massive growth year for actual manufacturing at the moment, but they're going to stick to 60 EUV and 375 DUV uh, capacity for 2023. Uh, and they reckon that by 2025, they'll be able to ship about 90 EUV, about 600 DUV. And they think they're going to be able to do 20 of their new high NA EUV um, mm -hmm. tools, which is their brand new tool. So if they can stick to that, that will be a very impressive year. So a few bits and comments I've just picked out of the... Um the, uh, from Peter Wenning, and he said that he actually, because they get a lot of diagnostics from their tools, so they can see how much they're being used. Uh, and he said that actual tool utilization at the moment is actually below record levels. So record levels was two quarters away. This is actually below record levels now. So there has been a noticeable slowdown that they, they, they're, they're reporting in. Uh, they have noted that there's been CapEx cuts at Intel, Micron, TSMC, Global Foundries, and SK Hynix now, which is their uh, biggest sort of 
set of customers. Um, and he thinks that will likely catch up with the with the market, semi-market as a whole. But he actually thinks ASML is pretty much covered um, and it will fare a lot better than its peers because it has these massive lead times at the moment, this massive amount of backlog. Uh, if there are cancellations in the, in the machinery, well, they've just got another machine that they can bring around in its place. So uh, faster installation times at the moment that they're reporting, uh, they're releasing deferred revenue quicker. Um, this is because of the fast shipping program that we discussed last time where they do a minimum amount of testing at ASML, then they ship it to the customer and then they test it further there, refine it, change it, what have you. And then once the customer is happy, uh, they get signed off and that deferred revenue becomes recognized revenue. They've actually said that they might start to recognize revenue at the point of dispatch uh, in the same way that Nike has done that with uh, some, of its, some of its gear recently. Um, but they will let us know if they do that. Obviously, when you do that, take those numbers that you get with a pinch of salt because we're going to start seeing a lot higher numbers which you know maybe not be entirely correct it's an accounting think, change rather than the business i think change. they actually said they were going to do that because their on-site testing has done so well i don't think they've had any returns yeah, or they've had like very that, little so problems yeah. yeah yeah very little so, problems. i mean it makes so a lot of sense to yeah Fast, fast shipping makes a lot of sense for me. If you're shipping something that's the size of a double-decker bus uh, and you're doing it in the shipping container in a thousand bits, there's a high likelihood that some of that is going to break in shipping. Uh, so it the makes scare, sense to get it on site, test part, it, and change it there. Yeah, yeah. The scary part of that was, though, this is something that they'd never done before, so they wanted to get it out there, and they had, they did have the theory, or at least it sounds like they had the theory, that they were going to set these up and some of them weren't going to go as well and it might cause a fine or it might cause some sort of re refund in some way or maybe even some extra tooling that has to go out so they they were worried about the cost going forward but because they've had such little problems with this fast shipping method they might just make it their normal method and that would allow them to bring forward the revenues with the hope that they won't have to claim some back as it were on the earnings report later which is so so positive this this thing is ridiculously positive in my eyes yeah and it was followed with another good report from lam research as well which is a little bit further up the chain it's not actually a, a chip maker i think it's more in the testing section lam off yeah. the top of my head if i remember correctly so they reported pretty strong um results they were up about five or six percent on the day after theirs asml was up about nine and then up three the day after as well so um l looking really really positive for asml i couldn't really see anything in there that i could pick out that i could really say was problematic to me um they did mention that the uh you know about their issues with shipping to china uh, they weren't really shipping to china they weren't bothered not, at all especially not the new stuff they're only shipping yeah. the old stuff they're still allowed to ship the old stuff to china yeah. um so they're not particularly bothered about that uh, there's still yeah. no competition on the horizon that particularly frightens asml uh i think we've just got an unregulated monopoly that's printing money at the moment any comments yes most important uh sorry steve do you go first no, I only had a couple of small uh, points. One, as usual, two things, one which is sensible, one which is not. Um, here's the one which is kind of sensible. There was a bit in all of that, Steve, about a third of the way through where you said ASML, according to someone, is going to fare better than its peers. I wasn't quite sure what that meant. This is one of the reasons I don't own this stock. I kind of think of ASML as something that doesn't have any peers. That's kind of, you know, part of the attraction of the thing. So I was wondering quite what that meant. The other thing, I'll get this out of the way now, is that, yes, of course, Intel is cutting its capex. It's got a dividend to maintain. Uh, anyway, back to you. <laughs> yeah, so when, it, when, it, when it's talking about its peers, I think it's talking about the semiconductor 
to market at all. So I think it's talking mm-hmm. at every single level. So whereas they might think that something like uh, Nvidia and AMD, which are already cutting their guidance because they're not not being able to sell the things they want to sell, they don't think that that's going to filter all the way down to ASML. They think they're somewhat protected from it. Is my so stuff a bit further along the chain? Then uh, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Got it. Uh, okay. A little, a little bit, but also. Uh, non-EUV makers as well. So you've got your Nikon, Nikon yeah. and uh-huh. um, the other one that's from Korea as well. They're 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 so far behind; it's ridiculous. Um, but they they are trying, and I think they are, are also. There was one company that decided. I, I can't even remember it now. It's, it was so long ago. But one company decided, oh, we're going to start EUV now. Nikon was the terrible one, which decided to go the other way. And obviously, it now only manufactures chips for itself. And it's uh, that whole market's not doing very well at all. But there's um, most of all for me out of this thing is when we fundamentally look at the suck, we want to look at its projections going forward and where it's going to end up and how important it's going to be for the future of humanity. Famously, ASML, I think we uh, we heard from Scottish Mortgage as one as quoted as one of the most important companies for humanity in the future. And I fully agree with that. But what we need to do is we need to see where that's actually going uh we look, a lot of people t- look at tesla right now and say okay we're not just a car company it's going to build this it's going to build that it's going to build this but what comes next for asml has always been the big problem because it gets so hard to make smaller and smaller tooling for 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 things and now we've got this high na technology which only has just come in and i can't tell you what na means i haven't got a clue but i understand the process of widening the aperture of the uh the light that comes in i don't know how they do that i it's way above my pay grade mirrors and it's yeah well oh cheers <laughs> yeah forgot mirrors <laughs> Uh, but well, they have um, to use the flattest mirror ever. You have, it, there's some crazy rules. Yeah. Like if you even if you scaled it up to the size of Earth, the mirror they use, you'd still not be able to see any ridges in it. That's how that's how flat these mirrors have yeah, to be. It, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um, I don't know. It's going from 0.33 NA to 0.5 NA, which is a wider aperture. But the idea, it's the same as like, I'm a photographer. I don't know what F, I don't know what the F means in F stop. It's the same principle as that, as far as I can tell. Um, so I'm not, so I don't feel too badly that I don't know the answer to that question. And I can't find the answer to that question. But new NA, <laughs> this new high NA technology is now being sold to every single one of their customers. So every single one of their customers, Intel, TSMC, etc., have now started the ordering process on this high NA technology, which means it is being taken up, which means it is the next step in the future of the company. And I would say personally of humanity as well. So this is going to make chip making so much more uh, impressive. And that is where I see the future revenues coming from. That's going to start happening in 2025. And that is going to keep on going all the way to 2030. This thing has revenue and earnings going as far as we want to see in an investment horizon. And that's what I just can't, you know, it's, I mean, it is trading at the premium still. I don't know what premium it's trading at is it in the 20s yet and it's it was about 28 when i was buying again so okay that's that's where it's probably a bit higher now (laughs) but um yeah it's you know it's been a hard time to find 
uh, S amount a good uh, reasonable price. I don't think you're ever going to find it because this thing has such solid uh, cash flow coming in for the future. Interesting, uh, just to add to the end of it, um, high and I think it's numerical aperture, but I don't know what that means. Right. In terms That's of, probably uh, right. In terms of how that changes. But um, they, there's an interesting uh, interview on ASML's website with Martin van der Brink. He's the CTO. He's in his uh, 60s, mid-60s, and he's, he's quite a grumpy fellow from, from all reports. Um, but he <laughs> thinks high NA uh, will be the very last EUV machines we get. He thinks the next yeah. thing that comes along will be something completely different. They'll have to basically start from scratch because he he doesn't think they can get any better than any and he's gonna he's obviously just about to retire so um th there's a saying about uh old scientists isn't they that if they think they things can get better they're correct if they think they can't get better they're incorrect isn't it something along those lines i fucking should have re researched this before <laughs> and maybe you might write that in the comments to correct myself but there is a important saying about that but yeah he doesn't do have that a thing we do have a thing in humanity where we just think things are going to get bigger, better, faster, stronger. Yeah. Well, he thinks it's all time. incremental now. He thinks this is a leap. Mm. So he thinks when you swap from, you know, when they went to EUV machines, that was a leap. When they go from EUV to NA, this is a this is also going to be a leap. But he now thinks this will be the last time we make the leap, uh, and everything from this point onwards will be incremental. So uh, interesting. I think he's a, he's an interesting fella, definitely. Uh, ASML yeah. is a bit of a beast. Uh, Steve, why don't you earn it? Uh, partly because I'm too busy printing t-shirts with whatever you just said on it. Um, but <laughs> partly it goes into my too hard pile a little bit. It bothers me that I don't really know what numerical aperture means, which makes me feel like I don't understand you this moat terribly well. I understand oh. it's ahead technologically, but I feel like I've also seen other things be ahead technologically in this space. Um, mm. and the other issue I have slightly is that I've never quite had enough money to put into this available at one time to make this a significant position and i don't really want a hundred quids worth of this stock <laughs> right i've got the it, quote because i need to correct myself uh -huh. it was arthur c Clarke. so it's when oh. a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible he is almost certainly right and when he states that something is impossible he is probably wrong Excellent. yeah I, this is it, it just goes on the basis of we made the aeroplane in uh, in the 20s and look how, how far it jumped. And we've always said it was always stopped there. And then we went to the moon and blah, blah, blah. So it's 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 uh, it's, it's hard to see, you know, it's hard to see where technology like this goes and what the next step is. But um, humans and we uh, always find a way. And we seem to believe that we always find the way as well. It's We always think that, ah, yeah, it'll just get bigger and better and faster and stronger. And, and that's it. I think, I know you're putting this in the too hard pile, Steve. Mm -hmm. I think you're thinking about this too much. Possibly. Uh, I, I think sometimes we get wrapped up into this Buffettism of know what you own and we, we we feel like we have to know everything inside out but as long as we know i think sometimes the people that are involved that we know they know what they're doing and at least you've got a very basic outline of it i think some companies you, you it can lie outside of your circle of competence a little bit i think i, I think you're never going to there's definitely some truth to that i mean i have 
something I haven't actually checked recently, but 18 or so investments in something. I mean, I couldn't tell you exactly how many branches City Group has. So I, I take it yeah. that I don't know everything about every, um, you know, thing that I own. And I, yeah, I get the thought. It's somewhat impressionistic that it's a little bit of a feeling of I feel like I know enough about one thing and not about another. And that might mm. be that that isn't particularly coherent uh, on my side of things. So that that's quite possibly true. Uh, but when Steve asked me why I don't own it, I'm not sure. I kind of have a feeling that I don't get uh, ASML in a certain way. I like, no, get uh, some other things. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think we we, we all fall short of knowing the ins mm -hmm. and outs of, of, of the stocks we have. And, and people can also look to us and, and, and say, oh, he doesn't know the name of this person. He doesn't know the name of that person. And, and in truth... I think it, like you say, as long as you know the basic outline of why a company is very important uh, and why you think the revenue and earnings are going to continue to grow, I, I don't think you fully need to know. I think I think these big analysts like to tell you that they they've seen all of the stores in China for Starbucks and go, okay, yeah, I know this, this, and this, and and. Uh, I don't think you need to know sometimes. I think it doesn't go much further beyond for you need to know how they make money. If you understand how they make money and you can have a rough idea of how other people uh, can try and take that money away from them, that's kind of the mm. overview that you need to, to move on with something yeah. like ASML. I think uh, if you were trying to get yourself into the science of uh, how the high NA works, as interesting as it is, Asianometry on YouTube if you really want to know. Um, mm. But it's, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think that might just be a little bit, like looking a little bit too far. But we, we're going to run short on time because I send Steve as a sermon on the mount on Netflix. Uh, so we'll go from the world's <laughs> most important tech to probably the world's least important tech. How did Netflix do, Steve? Yeah, okay. So in the interest of disclosure, I don't own this stock either, uh, for what it's worth. But I think we discussed this a few weeks back, actually. A few weeks ago, Steve and I were talking about portfolios and so on. Um, and I think one or other of us said and the other agreed, but we were both thinking, I can't remember who said it first, that this looks like a company that's turning itself into a cash generator at about the right time with interest rates going up. Mm -hmm. This earnings report kind of bears that thought out to me a little bit. This looks to me very much like a company in transition. It's going from a kind of story stock to a kind of money stock, uh, the kind that you need a bit more vision to see and uh, to the kind that you can kind of read the numbers off a little bit. But let's start with some numbers then. So revenue is 7.9. 3 billion versus 7.837 forecasted, which is a slight beat and up by about 6%. Earnings per share with $3.10 versus $2.13, so a big beat. I've got that written down as down 3%, which I feel like must that's be right. wrong somehow. But no, no, Okay, right. cool. I'm correct here. Um, but as I was saying, so far this hasn't really been a revenue and earnings stock. I couldn't tell you what they were over the last couple of quarters, but I can tell you why that stock has been going down and down and down. It's because subscribers have been going downwards and not upwards. They were expecting it to turn around this time with 1 million new subscribers. They actually got 2.4 million new subscribers. Uh, most of those came out of Asia Pacific and EMEA, which we'll come back to in a moment because I had a thought of a sort on that for you. Um, but they said they're going to add another four and a half million by the end of the year. So if you're interested in kind of counting subscribers and seeing that as a kind of barometer for how the company is doing, it's now started doing very well again, having done, I think it's fair to say, reasonably poorly uh, for the last couple of quarters, if you're measuring by those metrics. Um, 
Going forward, it's going to turn itself into a numbers story. I think as of the end of next quarter, they are doing away with guidance on subscribers and numbers. They are going to keep giving guidance on revenue and earnings and margins and so on and so forth, but they're not going to start guiding for subscriber numbers anymore because they see themselves as a cash generative thing. The ad-supported model that we were talking about is coming out in November, so kind of halfway through a quarter, which makes it a little bit um, hard to detect what the exact impact of that will be. The password sharing uh, opposition is coming in 2023. So that's the broad outline of things. I have some uh, thoughts which we'll come back to in a bit. But what did you guys think of this? So the uh, revenue guide, just so you know, that they, sorry, the revenue was down because of almost entirely because of FX. So it was actually about a 10% swing. But because they make so much revenue outside of America, repatriating mm-hmm. that money um, obviously cost them a lot. So they went from uh, what would have been between 8, I think it was 8 and 10% growth to uh, minus 1. So, but, I mean, we've probably all felt that in our portfolios uh, with uh, with American dollar at the moment. Um I thought, uh, well, they want to turn themselves into a revenue and earnings company. They physically stated that in their their comments that they, they, they're not going to guide on subscribers anymore. Uh, they're going to report them, but they're not going to guide on them because they want you to focus on the actual business metrics, which is smart, really, because I think subscribers is starting to slow. I think we would all agree that uh, it, hit, it slowed down a little. And don't be fooled by them saying they're going to add four and a half bil- uh, million new subscribers on. Billion, that would be good. Mm. Uh, million new subscribers i think a lot of them are going to come from the end of this account sharing um mm-hmm. and p- potentially some from the ad tier maybe bringing some people back but the vast majority i would imagine is um is this feature uh, really really smart of them they've introduced a profile switching service as well so if you um if you split up with your your wife steve and you want to take your netflix your your perfectly curated netflix account with all its recommendations and why its would you think we pay food. for our own netflix and like me and my wife <laughs> well, well you well, you can then switch your profile out and you won't lose your perfectly curated content. And it's funny how this has arrived just in time for this uh, this new profile series, uh, this new uh, this new password sharing thing to uh, to stop. Um, but yeah, I was really interested in the free cash flow numbers as well. So they've, they're still going for that billion free cash flow. Um, they think they'll do a lot more than that next year as well, even though they've got a little bit of higher capex to come. And uh, I was interested to see that a lot. One of the things we we discussed was that moving on to the ad tier uh, could be detrimental to Netflix's top line revenue and obviously their profits. Uh, And they've said that they actually think that this will be um, neutral. So if you downgrade from a premium package to their ad tier, they think even straight from the bat, even before they get to crank up the ad load on you and uh, charge more for the adverts, that they think that you will be uh, neutral. And this is because people consume so much stuff from Netflix. They, they released a few stats, but essentially you consume two times more Netflix than you do uh, any of the other streaming services at the moment. And that's great when you're introducing an ad tier when volume really matters, uh, which it does with an advertising service. Uh, Netflix get a hell of a lot of volume. So I thought it was... I mean, I thought they were really good results. I thought this is the turnaround of Netflix. You can quite clearly see where the growth is coming from. And if that growth filters through to the bottom line, I'm less interested in Netflix's bottom line because of the way they uh, the way they deal with content on their balance sheet. Uh, but I am more interested in seeing that free cash flow uh, figure crank up and up and up. And like they say, there's no proof on it because uh, those numbers are not exactly broken down. But Netflix is the only company doing this at scale at profit at the moment. 
yeah absolutely this is this is great what i don't like on twitter at the moment is this has been a, apparently this has been a bull versus bear fight and i don't think it ever has i think everybody agrees that netflix has always had a brilliant brand this is slightly being disrupted them their model slightly being disrupted because there is competition coming in so it is something still need to think about but um you still need to understand uh what what we've got right now is netflix at a really good price haven't we bill ackman has sold netflix at a really really good price and that was the time to really start thinking about netflix when the price had come off when this when the price that had been priced to perfection started sh to show some of the kinks it got corrected and then the price came down to the the where we wanted it to be and now we're at this really nice place again with netflix where we are seeing the growth we're seeing this money making machine start we're seeing customers coming back this is this is great this is this is where where netflix was but nobody knew where that was uh where that price was for netflix to be perfectly within its valuation but it seems like we might be seeing it here what do you think are you still buying this at this price so um well just just to go back to ackman before i answer that ackman did have a stinker uh, it's a 30 percent higher than the price ackman sold at but remember it did fall about another sort of 20 odd percent after uh, ackman sold it as well so it's actually 60 percent off the bottom so anybody who's bought it uh sort of within the last three or three or four months has done remarkably well off the back of it uh, i have bought it uh in that period of time but i am actually still down even after this run up but i'm only down about two percent as of today fx is giving me a little, awesome. yeah it's giving me a little tickle along uh, but i started buying this before ackman but unlike ackman i have continued buying it because i just thought it was it was just far too cheap even if it was going to convert yeah. to being a cash generating company it was trading at a 15 times earnings uh, cash flow a little bit spottier uh, a little bit heavier um but um it still looked like it was really good value to me just another thing paul actually this is another thing i want to pick you up on as well uh, you always All say right. that uh, netflix uh has is always sort of uh, lagged behind disney because it doesn't have the ip they released some stats on that so they must have been listening to the podcast nice. and thought, we'll get this guy um so um, <laughs> 10 years ago they had zero ip they had zero library and they were told they basically said we need to build a library of our own ip people told them that would be impossible uh, it was a 10-year plan they said it's impossible to build ip over 10 years their ip is now getting more revenue and more profit uh, than all of its competitors uh, they reckon so that was a quite important stat that i saw how are they measuring that just through the streaming services obviously they can't do comparison with disney that has a theme park uh, dedicated <laughs> to marvel but yeah was, just over the I over was the, wondering over their literal ip streaming like for like library uh, they're generating more revenue and more profit through watches of their uh, their own ip than than the competitors which i thought was so, particularly interesting yeah i wonder what people are going back to watch i can't think of any netflix shows that i'd be going back over to watch again maybe um, stranger things maybe maybe people yeah maybe watching that yeah. from the beginning again squid game i might watch squid game again that was quite entertaining wasn't it the shareholder letter usually lists things that have been going uh well or what they're particularly proud of in their most recent 
quarter, I would guess the answer's probably in there, although I skipped past that bit of it. Um, I think this is basically a story of the kind that uh, Steve was rightly seeing a few weeks ago, and I think I was sort of seeing with him, but I didn't put my money there, so my view doesn't count. In the look, it's a company that had everything going uh, against it at one point in time, and it wasn't going to take an awful lot to go right for it to kind of turn around. I think a fair bit's gone right. There's still plenty more to come out of this, from what I can see of it. So, a couple of quick thoughts here. Those subscribers I said were mostly coming from Asia Pacific and EMEA kind of regions. The kind of average revenue from those is much lower than it is from the states in Canada. Uh, per user and I think that's kind of significant. I was listening to The Motley Fool uh, on this and Tim Byers was saying he thinks that's basically because uh, the states in Canada is saturated at the moment by Netflix so they're not going to grow there. I don't buy that argument. They've lost almost 2 yeah. million subscribers there over the last couple of quarters. I'm not sure why they couldn't be got back again. I'm not sure they've all just emigrated and gone off to uh, Asia Pacific region or something like that. So I think there might still be capacity to get those Back again, I view that positively for what it's worth. I view that as kind of upside uh, for this sort of thing, and there's still growth available in that market that isn't there before. I don't buy the thought that means it's saturated, and that's why you shouldn't expect to see growth there, uh, though. The other thing is, I was looking at their cash flow statement, um, and crikey, that's a busy cash flow statement mm. uh, for a company <laughs> that has um, operating earnings at one level, and um, it's basically what you do... Um, with a cash flow statement is you take back you take your net income add back all your non-cash um adjustments and that gets you operating um cash flow take out the capex it gets you to free cash flow and there's a lot going on in the ad backs in that kind of thing there's an awful lot of amortization going on as you mm. would expect with a company that owns a lot of kind of intangible um, ip brandy related stuff or franchise kind of stuff there's also an awful lot going on in content spend they're still spending about four and a half billion or so uh, on these things from what i could see of it and uh, you might have answered my question already here steve for what it's worth but um i kind of have an ongoing thought in my head of when does this stuff slow down i get that's their moat i get that's what they use to stay in front but it feels like quite a lot of cash goes out the door still uh with this company on building out further ip franchise titles that sort of thing yeah well that was the thing that's always sort of worried uh me was that capex eventually has to sort of level out and it actually has leveled out over the last year um, it leveled out about 17.9 billion, which is oddly four times what you probably the you've just given me. <laughs> Pretty much, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it definitely has started to level out. I mean, the law of big numbers, you're going to get to a point where, you, you know, you can add three or four billion to that number and it doesn't look exponentially bigger than, you know, three or four years ago. So I think we are approaching a period where, I mean, Netflix has got plenty of content and the content that comes out, uh, especially over the last sort of six months since we've had this refocusing of, of what Netflix wants to be, has been a lot better. Um, so I think CapEx-wise on shows, I, I wouldn't imagine it would be too much higher than this. It depends what the others do, doesn't it? If... Netflix is not going to want to get into bidding wars for, for for new shows. They like the method that they've got at the moment where they can turn up to any book fair in the world and buy uh, pretty much any show they want. So they're not going to want to get into bidding wars. If that happens, then the cap expend is, is just naturally going to go up. Um, the other thing I was going to say, which I completely forgot about, is... Um, Netflix is a big company. It's a big company driving a hell of a lot of revenue. So for them to pivot like this to a, what is essentially a new strategy is impressive. And the speed in which they've done it, basically they started talking about an ad-supported tier uh, less than six months ago, mm -hmm. and it's already here. So they need to be sort of commended on, you know, what six months ago, this was a dead company 
that was uh, that had finished growing. That was the end of it. Blah blah blah. blah. They've pivoted to a new strategy, which is going to unlock a new arm for their business. Um, so that 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 does deserve commending. That that shows you. I mean, the, the, Reed's been told he's a wartime CEO. I think he kind of is coming across as somebody who, like, when the going gets tough, he really knows what he needs to do to kickstart this. But on to Tim Byers at Motley I think he's been really short-sighted. I do think America is saturated, but Netflix have turned around and said, well, look, let's stop profile sharing because if, if the US is saturated, the US drives the vast majority of our revenue. And one of the ways to sort of unlock that saturation is to stop people sharing accounts. Uh, and that should start to get that um, that bit growing. There'll be initial people who say, look, I'm not paying for this crap. I'm, I'm just going to cancel my account and I won't do anything. Bye, bye, bye. But they'll come back if Netflix's content is still good. They'll start to drip back into that. If they only move, they only need to move some of those customers onto their own account and that's a win for netflix even if they move on to the ad supported tier it doesn't matter what tier they move on to that's a win for netflix and if they can mm. drip them on it's... over a period of time that's just you can just literally plot netflix's revenue going up on a, on on a graph almost it's definitely one extra subscriber each time and it's it's kind of a no lose situation i really can't see a situation where they do they stop the password share sharing and both people on the end of the password sharing cancel their their subscription at that time i just I, I just don't see it happening i think the draw to netflix is too strong but what it does do is it makes that other person look for something else that that person is obviously going to look for a deal somewhere um at the moment i you know what i can't doubt that the netflix ad tier is going to be a good deal. I don't think it's a, I, I can't tell you the figures right now, but I don't think it's a hundred percent a brilliant as in better deal for the co consumer as say free cable TV is. I, I don't think it is, but, um, I think there's still competition. I think we still need to look at it. I think Tim Byers has been uh, very short-sighted there. I didn't haven't heard it myself, but um, I do think that is short-sighted. I think to take such a strong opinion of the competition in this market right now is 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 I think it's too much. I think you still need to be open to it. And I think that's what the share price has done. I think the share price has shown that openness to uh, the possibility of, of, of uh, uh, competition here and i think the market is fairly pricing at the well, moment because of that i wasn't expecting you both to agree with me on my um starts on the UCAN stuff um concerned <laughs> i might have misrepresented his position now because i only listened to it quickly <laughs> uh so go check out the motley fools podcast on this by the way if anyone's interested in hearing what someone who's actually qualified to talk about this stuff wants to hear yeah, I, no, Netflix Netflix is obviously uh, really good. We, it needs to keep it up. And that's the only... I, I can only talk sort of anecdotally and say it feels like it's these companies are just on a treadmill of constant content production. I, at the moment, they're throw it at the wall and see what sticks kind of works i don't know what's stopping the other companies from doing that i think hbo has said it wants to go more quality all the time so it's going to hire in the talent to write the quality so that kind of discounts that one but it doesn't stop places like comcast and peacock bringing that in it doesn't stop disney 
bringing that in, which I feel like they 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 could start doing as well. Just throwing any old crap at the it, wall. It would be frightening to do it, though, wouldn't it? It would be frightening for somebody like Comcast to just say, "Right, we're going to do eighteen billion on content now," and people go, "Whoa, we don't have that many subscribers." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's frightening. Yeah, I think yeah, Netflix yeah. is at the has the luxury of being able to do that because yeah you're right yeah because you're absolutely it, right because it generates that it's profitable i guess that's that's their argument saying that look all these competitors have come all these people you said are going to come and beat us up but the thing is that we have the leverage in that we have the you know the business that can can withstand these costs and still generate a profit whereas these other companies they would have to cannibalize a different arm of their business to uh to 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 generate the money they need and, and as we've seen with companies they're not always willing to cannibalize uh some some business or to sacrifice part of the business or to sell off part of the business or mm. to take the debt on or to to do anything really to risk 18 billion you know to to compete with netflix um, yeah, yeah, I, I mean i wouldn't be in a rush for that disney's a bit different it, it's going to spend around that kind of money on content but they're not really battling for any content they've got this massive ip library and it's just about them sort of getting that content made and, and out there for the vast majority of it and also um something worth noting is disney and hulu hulu have a very strict no password sharing system mm. in place already so they won't have the power to unlock that later maybe they could start doing a bit of a password sharing thing and that could be a key to to drawing out a couple of netflix subscribers maybe you know kind of advertise it a little bit that might be an interesting advert to go out there you know say share our password uh we don't have a problem with it at all but mm. this company does you know like one of those sorts of ads that mm. i could see running around it could be an interesting I, I i'm not trying to find problems but i i think it'd be in, it's going to be very interesting to see how this uh, we say it every single every single time it's going to be very interesting to see how this whole streaming system works against cable against each other and uh the future has it's, it's very hard to tell isn't it mm. anyway thank you very much everyone for sitting through that that's going to be a really long one i can already see the timer ticking up in the in the top corner but if you are a subscriber to this channel one of our 920 subscribers that currently sits on this youtube channel right now send it to a mate send our podcast to a friend we need 70 more subscribers to get ourselves monetized we could really do with just earning even just a very slight small little bit of revenue to keep this podcast going so thank you very much get yourself subscribing and we will see you next week <laughs>